Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine, chiropractor, and functional nutrition practitioner, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. I'm excited about today's podcast, but before we jump in, I wanted to remind you to download this month's special gift at drjockersgift.com. From keto meal plans, smoothie recipes, to fasting quick start guides, we have a new complimentary gift every single month. To get your gift, simply visit drjockersgift.com. That's D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S-G-I-F-T.com. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. I have some great news for you guys. Many of you have asked for some sort of a cereal recommendation that I can make. However, the unfortunate thing is that most of the cereals out there are loaded with grains, sugars, processed ingredients that drive up inflammation in the body, even these so-called healthy cereals that you might find at a health food store. I couldn't recommend them because they're going to spike your blood sugar and your insulin levels and drive up inflammation, fat storage, and cause unwanted chronic symptoms. The good news is Perfect Keto has come out with a grain-free keto-friendly cereal with ingredients you can actually trust. It is a treat reminiscent of your childhood with a satisfying crunch and value-added ingredients like collagen and MCTs. I love the cinnamon and honey nut flavors, and it's completely grain-free, and it contains, again, medium-chain triglycerides, which turn into ketones to stabilize your blood sugar and your insulin levels and to bring down inflammation. They also have collagen protein in there, which is the major protein that supports your joints, your gut lining, helps reduce inflammation in your body. It helps to support your hair, your nails, and your skin. And each serving of Perfect Keto cereal contains one to two grams of net carbs, nine grams of protein, and five grams of fat. You know, an equal amount of traditional cereal can have up to 25 grams of net carbs with barely any protein, fat, or dietary fiber. Perfect Keto Cereal is the only cereal formulated with MCTs and collagen. And unlike other grain-free, low-carb cereals, Perfect Keto Cereal does not contain hidden carbs in the form of starches and legumes. It's also free of non-keto sweeteners that are known to cause significant changes in your blood sugar levels. It's gluten-free, no added sugars, preservatives, or artificial ingredients, only good stuff. And so guys, you could check this out. Just go to perfectketo.com forward slash D-R-J. Again, that's perfectketo.com forward slash D-R-J. Use the coupon code JOCKERS for 20% off your first order. Guys, you are going to love this cereal. So check it out again, perfectketo.com forward slash DRJ and use the coupon code Jockers. They've got it in cinnamon and honey nut. Tastes absolutely amazing. You guys are going to love it. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We are doing another Q&A session. These are questions that you guys asked on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. 
So every month I just put out a post kind of asking for your questions and uh, you guys provide them. So we've got some great ones that we're going to go through today. And of course, I've got my rock star health coach, Melissa Noor, who's been working with me for five, six years, works with thousands of people all around the world, helping them navigate very challenging health conditions. And so if you're out there and you're looking for a great health coach, um, you really can't get any better than Melissa. So you can check her out on our website, on our coaching page and email her at melissa at drjockers.com. So Melissa, welcome to the podcast. What's new in your world? Awesome. Happy to be here. This is one of my favorite things we do. And I guess it's a new thing in our world, right? So um, happy to get started today. Got a um, as far as new, we just went to a conference and learned about muscle mm-hmm. testing, and that was really great. But um, yeah, so let's dive in. Are you ready? Let's do it. Yep. Okay, great. So um, first question is from Alicia, and this was an Instagram question, and she wants to know what is the optimal vegetarian diet? And we don't talk a lot about vegetarian diets, so this is a great question. Yeah, for sure. So vegetarian diet, <clears throat> you know, in general, I don't think a vegetarian diet is the healthiest diet out there, although there are individuals, and I think it's kind of like a bell curve where there are certain individuals on one side of the bell curve, which you know might be 10 or 20% of the population that seems to do better, you know, following a nutrition plan like that. Um, but again, that's not, you know, that's not the mass, that's not the 80 to 90%. Um, and if you're gonna do a vegetarian diet, there's definitely a good way to do it and a not so good way to do it. And so the, the best way to do it is obviously focusing on good quality organic foods, um, you know, trying to get uh, you know, healthy fats, things like avocados, olives, olive oil, um, using a lot of olive oil. Um, non-starchy vegetables, trying not to do a lot of um, things, of course, that are going to spike your blood sugar, not a lot of processed foods, just like anything else. We want to avoid sugars, particularly we want to avoid grains. A lot of people need to avoid gluten and uh, at least limit grains. Some people seem to do okay on rice and things like that, but um, you know, we want to keep that under, uh, you know, in moderation. Um, that's going to be key there. And of course, you know, with a vegetarian diet, we are, you know, oftentimes not getting enough protein. So trying to really get a lot of protein. Some people seem to do okay that are on that diet with legumes, right? If you are noticing a lot of bloating and things like that, you're probably not doing great with them, but legumes combined with rice or something like that, like beans, um, can be a complete protein source. There's also seeds like hemp seeds, um, that can provide a protein source. In fact, I typically recommend, especially for a vegan vegetarian to make sure that they are doing a good quality protein powder. Um, that's key. And then, you know, for somebody that's a vegetarian, that doesn't necessarily mean they're a vegan. So if they're able to do eggs, if they're able to do, um, like grass fed dairy, uh, eggs are a great complete protein source, tons of fat soluble nutrients. You know, when, when we're looking at a vegan diet, um, oftentimes we're lacking in fat soluble vitamin A because believe it or not, beta carotene that we get from carrots is not the same thing as retinol that we're getting from animal-based foods like egg yolk, for example. Um, you know, you also have that in, in liver, right. In organ meats and things like that. But egg yolk is one of the most powerful foods for your body. You've got choline in there. A lot of vegetarians are deficient in choline, which is really key for good bile flow. It's really key for brain function. Um, we produce something called phosphatidylcholine through, through choline. It's very, very critical for brain health. 
uh, and conducting a neurological charge in our brain. So that's super important. And just in general, these kind of phospholipids that we get from things like egg yolk and uh, eggs in general uh, are super important for our health. And so if you are a vegetarian, consuming eggs on a regular basis, good quality pasture-raised eggs can be really, really helpful. Um, so I think that's key. And of course, avoiding uh, you know, a lot of the high omega-6 oils. So a lot of vegetarians and vegans are doing a lot with things like sesame oil and corn oil, soybean oil, stuff like that. And in general, we don't recommend, you know, these kind of seed oils, nut and seed oils. You want to avoid those are very inflammatory for the body. And I don't recommend high soy consumption. Some people seem to do okay with certain types of soy, organic soy always, because we know that soy is one of the is a genetically modified food quite often and also highly sprayed with pesticides. And so if you're going to do soy, do it organic. And if you can get it fermented like a tempeh, for example, that's a lot better. It's already broken down a lot of the anti-nutrients that are in the soy, the lectins, uh, phytates, things like that, and uh, makes it more bioavailable and easier for the body to absorb. So typically recommend doing some sort of like fermented soy uh, as a better alternative than kind of your soy burgers, your impossible burgers, which are loaded with conventional soy. And that's going to have a high toxic load, really a lot of chemicals genetically modified. And, you know, when you're getting high amounts of these kinds of pesticides and herbicides like glyphosate, that damages the gut lining, drives up inflammation in the body, um, tears down the joints. It actually uh, damages joint function, collagen structure in the joints. So we obviously want to avoid that. Um, and so your conventional vegetarian vegan diet, or, you know, for, for years in my early twenties, I was a vegetarian and I was eating, you know, the soy burgers and all these kinds of things and caused a lot of health problems for me. So, you know, we want to do it the right way. And I know Melissa, you probably have some, some other good input on things I may have missed. Yeah. So I've got a lot of clients who are vegetarian and, you know, there's different types of vegetarian diets and some will eat fish, some will eat eggs. And I really try to encourage them to have some of those protein sources, because like you said, there's nutrients in those foods that you just can't get from the vegetarian diet. So important to supplement those um, nutrients. If you are on a vegetarian diet, particularly like B12 and iron, I see those low quite often on my clients that are on a vegetarian diet. You know, one really great thing to consider is the new genetics tests that we're offering because Dr. Jockers talked about choline specifically. And in that test, um, there's a section that goes over nutrients that you need more of genetically. So um, choline is one of those, B12 is one of those. So it really um, if you have those genetic predispositions to those being lower, your body doesn't synthesize those as well, then if you're on a vegetarian diet, you've really got to supplement because choline's in the egg yolk. Mm. So hard to get it otherwise. But um, if you're, I love that she asked what's the optimal because even like with keto, you can do dirty keto and that's not at all what we promote, or you can do the anti-inflammatory nutrient dense keto that we do um, encourage people to do and same with vegetarian diets. So I've got clients who, you know, are vegetarian, but they're eating chips and, you know, Cheerios and cereal, all of that may be vegetarian, but it's not healthy. So really important to get in a variety of fruits and vegetables. If you're going to do grains, quinoa is a great one because it's a complete protein. It's got the same amino acid profile as uh, like a meat source, so really good one to add. And then 
beans. Um, I like black beans, chickpeas, things like that are great to add in. The nuts and seeds, black seed particularly, I really like. Um, and then your healthy fats like olive oil and avocado. So, um, and then protein, you'll get some of that from your, your nuts and your beans, but um, really something to watch because a lot of vegetarian clients just aren't eating enough protein. And when we run some blood work and then we look at their metabolic panel, their protein levels really low. So they start, they could lose muscle from that. So really important to make sure if you are vegetarian um, that you are getting enough protein. So those would be yeah. my main suggestions there. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's super critical. Yeah. And, and, a, and a couple of big things that we see are people with very low iron, very low serum ferritin levels, um, when they're not consuming enough, you know, iron rich foods and really plant foods, um, you know, they don't have the heme iron that we really absorb and turn into hemoglobin as effectively. So there are other things you can add in that will help spirulina and chlorella, um, or single cell algae that really provide a tremendous array of nutrients. And so anybody that's following, I mean, they're great, great for, you know, any sort of nutrition plan, but, um, certainly anybody that's following a vegetarian vegan diet, I really like using spirulina and chlorella. I think that's really helpful. Um, we may need to supplement with iron, especially if you're having kind of heavier periods, if you're in your menstrual cycle. Um, so supplementing with a good iron with meals can be really, really helpful. Sometimes zinc, uh, you know, there's issues with zinc deficiency. Pumpkin seeds are a great source of zinc, but uh, animal foods are really the best source of zinc. And there can be some absorption issues as well. Anytime we're looking at seeds, because there are enzyme inhibitors, you know, so typically I'll recommend like a sprouted pumpkin seeds for somebody that's following this sort of a diet where the sprouting process removes a lot of these anti-nutrients. And you can just buy this on Amazon. They have it in a lot of stores, sprouted pumpkin seeds. That's one of the better ways to get zinc outside of supplementation if you're following a vegan diet, right? Vegetarian diet, of course, you know, you can get it from eggs, right? Like we were talking about before. And, you know, for some people, they're, they're consuming fish. So uh, that can be a good source uh, of zinc, you know, or, or, or even seafood, different types of seafood like oysters, things like that can be a great source of zinc as well. So, um, so anyways, I think, I think we covered it there, but really trying to go with real foods uh, as right. much as possible, avoiding, you know, genetically modified foods, again, corn, soy, right? Those are some of the most common ones, um, getting rid of the processed vegetable oils, really supplementing or, or being more intentional about getting those critical nutrients, B12, choline, zinc, iron, um, those tend to be the, some of the most critical ones that we're not getting when we're not eating animal foods. And there are so, some other ones too, actually creatine, right? And you can actually supplement with that, especially if you're looking to maintain muscle mass, or if you're just not noticing that your brain is firing as well, creatine is really important for overall energy production. Um, the first step of energy production. And a lot of people, you know, we get it, tend to get it in our diet from animal foods. And if you're not getting it, um, possibly some supplementation, you know, a lot of athletes supplement with it, people that are lifting weights, but you know, even the average individual can supplement with something like that, um, to really help support energy and brain function as well. You know, one other thing I want to mention quickly, because I know we need to move on, but nutritional yeast, a lot of people mm. aren't familiar with nutritional yeast, and it's a great source yeah. of B vitamins. And it tastes kind of like Parmesan cheese. So you can add it to your soups or whatever you're eating, just top it with some nutritional yeast. And that's a great way to get in some of those B vitamins. Um, that's a, a vegetarian source. 
Yeah, that's great. All right, let's let's keep going. So the next one, um, so this Kristen would like to know what is a good food replacement for eggs, and I'm assuming she means in recipes. Um, you know, a lot of people have food sensitivities and eggs are yeah. one of the top things we see when we're doing food sensitivity testing. So there are a variety of substitutes that you can use in recipes, depending on what you're making, like applesauce and mashed banana is another ground flaxseed or chia, um, some uh, like vinegar and baking soda or some, but the main ones, because I have a, a vegan in my family um, mm. that is experimenting with being a vegan. And so I've, I've found that the applesauce and the mashed banana work best in like my baked items. Mm. Any, that's, anything? That's good to know. Yeah. It's good to know. I know a lot of other people really like flaxseed. Right. right? Because, yeah. uh, you know, it's got some lecithin in there. Right. And that kind of uh, combined with water gives it can, can, can kind of rise the way that eggs will. So it's got the lecithin lecithin is in egg yolk or really in the egg in general. It's kind of the sticky substance. And we find that in things like sunflowers and flaxseed, you also have that lecithin. So I find that that helps, but it's good to know. I mean, you, you have more experience uh, since you have got a, you know, a, a trying to be vegan in your, in your family. <laughs> Um, I just use eggs when I bake, so, yeah. so I don't have the personal experience, but, uh, you know, just from hearing from others, flaxseed tends to work well. You talked about banana, um, and applesauce tend to be the best. Yeah. Banana will give it that banana flavor, but most of my family enjoy banana. So, um, but the applesauce, you can do like a quarter cup, um, per egg in the recipe. And I, I use the unsweetened organic applesauce mm -hmm. for that. So yeah, so that's a suggestion there. So I hope that works for you, Kristen. All right, so the next question is from Maria and her 23-year-old daughter gets really bad cramps during her time of the month. What can be causing this and what can she do to ease the pain? Yeah, for sure. And so there's obviously some sort of issue with hormone balance that's going on. And, um, you know, we need the right mix of estrogen, progesterone to kind of keep inflammation under control. And so anybody that's having uh, increased cramping, to me, that signals inflammation, right? So I just think in my head, okay, this person's dealing with, with a higher level of inflammation. So their immune system and just the way that their body's responding is it's kind of over, it's, it's, it's over, overworking, right? And uh, there's, there's not good balance in their hormone function. And so, you know, things that are going to help balance that, um, you know, obviously getting your blood sugar stable is really key. So we talk a lot about that blood sugar stability. When you have higher levels of insulin, you're going to promote higher levels, tend to tend to have more estrogen that's being promoted and have a higher amount of estrogen to progesterone, which can cause a lot more of those types of cramps, right? So getting insulin under control through a good blood sugar stabilizing diet is critical. Keeping stress under control is key because the more stress we're under, the less that's going to steal uh, from our body's ability to produce, particularly progesterone when it comes to the sex hormones, right? So our body mm -hmm. always prioritizes stress or um, survival, right? Which stress and survival are interlinked with sex hormone production. And in particular, progesterone production, right? And the right amount of progesterone uh, with the right amount of estrogen really helps balance uh, those hormones and allows you to kind of go through that menstrual cycle with minimal symptoms. 
And so more stress, you know, you tend to have more, more cramping. And I know a lot of people have, have said that they had a higher stress month and they had more menstrual symptoms. So that's another big thing. Now, as far as, you know, supplements, things like that, you know, we definitely want to support the gut. So probiotics are really helpful. They help break down excess estrogens in the system and help eliminate them. Um, so, you know, outside of diet, stress management and good sleep and regular exercise, probiotics can be very helpful doing things to help support liver health, right? So, um, getting enough B vitamins, for example, milk thistle, milk thistle is a supplement that can really help, um, with liver function. There's also something called calcium deglucurate, which is another compound. Um, and we have, for example, we have that in our, our product Femprotect, protect, which is really good for helping break down, um, an enzyme called beta glucuronidase and allow our body to go through phase two liver detox and effectively eliminate excess estrogens in the system, right? So that's key. So we're getting a lot of artificial estrogens from plastic water bottles that we may be drinking from, from cosmetics that we may be using, personal hygiene products. We need to eliminate those and that's done through the liver and the gut. And so we need to deactivate them and then put them in a form that we can kind of get out through our bile and in, into our gut and, uh, and sweep out through the gut. And so there are certain things that block that. And um, for a lot of people, they just have an overwhelming amount of stress, toxicity, and sluggish liver function. So things like, again, like milk thistle that can support liver health, ginger, um, a lot of bitter herbs, dandelion. So you can drink herbal teas with these. You can take different supplements with these. They can be really, really helpful. Um, for supporting liver. So we talked about that along with gut health. And, um, you know, then there are some, some other herbs like chase berry, for example, which is um, really well known uh, for, it's also called Vitex, which is really well known for helping with menstrual cramping, right? That's probably the most well-known herb that's, uh, that's known for supporting uh, going through the menstrual cycle. So again, it's called chaseberry or Vitex, right? So you can find that as well. We have that in our FemProtect product as well with some B vitamins, different things like that. And it's one of our go-to products that we use uh, along with obviously, again, supporting the whole lifestyle. Right. What do you have to yeah, say? Great about that, suggestions. Melissa? Well, it, she um, asked specifically about easing the pain and castor oil packs mm. may be good for that um, yeah. during that time of the month. Or, um, and another thing, you were talking about the gut bacteria and how important that is. And um, we've got an article that I wrote on estrogen metabolism. And I really go into that and talk about how there's actually gut bacteria called the estrobilome that are responsible for helping to get those excess estrogens out of the body. So um, definitely supporting gut health is important. And I really love testing for any type of um you know, when we're concerned at all about possible estrogen dominance or uh, imbalances in your hormones. And there's a great urine test called the Dutch test um, that's taken four times during the day. And that can give us great information on how you're actually metabolizing estrogen. So there's multiple phases of metabolism. The first is, um, and it shows us phase one, phase two, which is more of the uh, methylation. And there's actually a phase three, which is through the gut bacteria. But we can see with that phase one metabolism, which pathway a person is metabolizing their estrogens down. So is it the more protective pathway 
or the pathways that lead to DNA damage. So it's good to know because if you are metabolizing too much down one of those pathways that um, aren't protective, then there are supplements you can take to help to move the estrogens to that protective pathway. So I'm just a huge fan of testing, as everyone knows, that's worked with me. So I like to I like to know, um, you know, what's going on there with the estrogen metabolism. Um, other things, I think you've really covered it. The beta-glucuronidase is another um, important marker to look at, and that is on um, the GI MAP stool test. So that would be another test to consider doing. And we'd also see yeah. their bacteria levels on that GI map too. So just give us more um, direction on exactly how to help the person. Yeah, I think that's great. And uh, yeah, you mentioned castor oil packs. You can actually just kind of put it right over the ovary area, right? The uterus, uterine region and kind of sleep with that on there that you can get the um, queen of thrones is a really great one. I know we have an article on castor oil and kind of shows um, exactly how to use this, but that can be really great. A lot of people swear by that as far as, um, you know, pain relieving benefits that can be helpful. Um, there are some different, uh, essential oils like clary sage, for example, and, um, ginger essential oil, ginger in general can be really helpful as far as pain relief, frankincense. Sometimes people will get like little rollers, you know, with, uh, a carrier oil and some of these essential oils, and they'll just kind of apply them to, topically to that area as well. That can be helpful, but I don't find it to be as helpful as a castor oil pack. I think castor oil pack just really opens up, dilates everything, relaxes those muscles and uh, is extremely helpful. And one last thing too is magnesium. Um, just making sure you're, you're getting enough magnesium in your diet. Um, if you tend to have a little bit more anxiety, muscle tension, things like that in general, magnesium can work wonders. Most people are deficient in magnesium. If you notice that you're under stress, a lot of stress, um, you're most likely deficient in magnesium unless you're supplementing with it. So some supplemental magnesium can be helpful. Um, or you can do Epsom salt baths, which uh, are very helpful. A lot of people, um, have been doing those for menstrual cramps for years, right? And they notice a lot of benefit. Why is that? Because the Epsom salt has a lot of magnesium that crosses transdermally into your bloodstream and helps relax those muscles. And there's also sulfates in there, which helps support phase two liver detox, um, which again, helps to balance out those, uh, those estrogen metabolites. And so that's kind of more of the long-term effect and the short-term effect, the pain relieving effect is really mostly from the magnesium that's getting into your system. So yeah, I think we covered that one. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so the next question, and this one is from Kester, is how do I locate a reputable functional physician? And, and one of my, I, I get asked this question quite a bit, um, and I often send people to the Institute for Functional Medicine. They have a, an ifm.org, they have a find a practitioner option there where you can look. Um, you know, there's a lot of, people in the functional medicine world. So a lot more options now. So it, when you are looking, just try to read testimonies, um, you know, for experience that they may have with different conditions that you're dealing with. Um, anywhere else you like to send people, Dr. Jockers? Yeah, I would say definitely IFM is great. Um, you can also really just ask around at your church, at your local health food store, you know, try to get around areas where, People have similar values as you, uh, particularly health values or faith values, and start asking around and see who people are recommending. And, um, you know, then look at their website, you know, interview them, 
ask the right questions. You know, you always want to kind of ask, you know, their philosophy on health and, um, you know, how they approach looking at things. Do they do lab testing? Do they do muscle testing? Do they, you know, just kind of guess, I mean, how, you know, what, what, what are, what are their methods? Um, you know, you want to, you want to obviously try to investigate and kind of see if they're in alignment with, uh, with how you want to approach your health. And, uh, and so that would be the best thing is, you know, it's always nice to get a referral. So particularly from people that have similar values as you. So health food stores, typically there's people there that will know, um, you know, functional health doctors or clinicians or practitioners and, uh, and possibly at your church as well. Um, you know, there's more and more people in the faith community that are getting interested in, in health and natural health. And, um, and sometimes you can find little pockets in your church or again, if you're not involved in a church, you know, at your health food store, your local YMCA, gym, fitness center, you know, where, where people that are health conscious are going to be, um, you know, more likely, you're more likely to find people that are health conscious. Yeah, those are great ideas. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the next question comes from Sharon. Do you have any natural solutions for someone with cirrhotic arthritis? He is on Humira, and the minute he stops taking it, his body falls into full-on pain and psoriasis type of scaling. I was thinking systemic enzymes may be helpful. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so psoriatic arthritis is an autoimmune condition where you get inflammation in your joints as well as on your skin and can create that scaling effect in the skin. And so whenever we look at autoimmune conditions, we always think gut issues. So damage to the gut lining uh, is always one of the main factors when it comes to really autoimmune diseases are, are kind of like a three-legged stool. It's like there's a genetic component to it. There is leaky gut. Leaky gut has to be present. And then there's you know, some sort of like major stressor that overwhelmed the system, body couldn't adapt. And now it is producing all of these antibodies that are now, you know, in the case of psoriatic arthritis, um, going after your immune system itself is attacking the joints, attacking the skin. So what do we do about this? Well, you know, certainly like, you know, the conventional model, they're going to use corticosteroids, right? Like Humira, for example. And what, what does that do? Really just shuts down the immune system. So you get the you know, effect of pain relief and, you know, you don't have the inflammation all over your skin, but now you're immune compromised. And these things have a lot of, you know, side effects take when taken a uh, long-term. So we really have to get to the root cause. So whenever it's autoimmune conditions, I'm always thinking, okay, we've got to start working on the gut. There's probably some gut infections, uh, that are taking place. You know, we utilize as far as like a foundation, um, something called an autoimmune paleo diet, which is a very restrictive diet, but a lot of people just, you know, in a, in a period of like two weeks, will notice significant improvements just following this sort of a nutrition plan. Right. And, uh, and that's where we take out, for example, all the, you know, the most common food sensitivities. So sugar, processed foods, gluten, really all grains we take out. We take out those processed vegetable oils that I mentioned earlier. Um, we're taking out, uh, things like nightshade vegetables, tomatoes, bell peppers, um, potatoes are in that category, eggplant. So we're taking nightshades out. There's about 25% of the population that reacts poorly to nightshades. And oftentimes they end up with more pain in their body when they're reacting poorly. So psoriatic arthritis would fall into that category. It doesn't mean that you necessarily, if you have that, have a sensitivity to those, but in the early stages, we're going to take out these foods, eggs, even though we talked about all the benefits of eggs, we're going to take them out in the beginning because a lot of people have an immune sensitivity to them. Um, so we're going to take out though, you know, nuts and seeds are another one. 
uh, that we pull out of there. And so we take those things out and then, you know, we just kind of follow this diet for let's say two to four weeks and see how, how your body functions, right. And how it's adapting. Now we can also add in, we can layer it with some different supplements. We might use probiotics. Um, vitamin D is, you know, pretty good, you know, pretty good bet before we even have lab testing that if you have an autoimmune condition, there's huge links to vitamin D deficiency. So sort of support your vitamin D levels. Um, you know, we can do that pretty much right off the bat with good quality vitamin D, D3 with K2 supplement. Um, and that can be really helpful. Uh, omega-3 fats, right? So getting some omega-3s, good quality fish oil, uh, a, a, a purified fish oil that doesn't have any heavy metals or anything like that can be really helpful. Curcumin, um, glutathione support from things like N-acetylcysteine or reduced glutathione or acetylated glutathione that the body can utilize. Glutathione really helps tame the immune system. It's the body's master antioxidant. Um, when the immune cells are attacking like this, we have a lot of what we call senescent cells in the immune system. These are aged immune cells that are kind of gone rogue. They're not listening to the main messages of the body. So now they're just creating, they're just dumping out inflammation and damaging the uh, different tissues of the body. So glutathione really helps with that. Um, another big thing with that is intermittent fasting, right? Inter intermittent fasting, or even like a partial or extended fast um, can really help get rid of these senescent immune cells. So depending on the individual, we may recommend um, doing possibly an extended fast or a, or like a fasting mimicking diet where they're doing a partial fast for a period of time, which has been shown scientifically to help get rid of a lot of these senescent immune cells that are attacking different tissues in the body. So those are all helpful. And you mentioned proteoenzymes. Um, absolutely. That can be a, a great supplement to take. The reason being is that proteoenzymes, now, these are, they'll act like digestive enzymes if we take them with a meal. However, um, with proteoenzymes, we want to take them away from meals because the main, our main goal here is that they break down circulating proteins. And when we look at immune cells, immune cells are made out of protein. They produce different compounds like C-reactive protein, for example, that's a protein cytokines, right? These different, um, immune compounds that drive up inflammation and attack different tissues in the body. These are all proteins. And so when we take systemic enzymes or proteolytic enzymes, we take them away from meals. So they don't work in digestion, but instead they get through the gut and they get into the circulation and they start to metabolize and break down these, um, these inflammatory proteins in the body. And so a lot of people notice huge differences, people with autoimmune conditions, um, when we're utilizing these proteolytic enzymes, again, not really getting to the root cause. However, um, providing some symptomatic relief, reducing inflammation in the system and doing it in a much safer manner than, um, something like, uh, Humira would now, you know, to really get the same effect as Humira, you really would have to do very high doses. Um, Humira is very strong. So typically when somebody's on that, we recommend, you know, working with their doctor and kind of gradually lowering the dosage. So you don't have the effect, right. Of like, you come off of it and immediately you're in, you know, you're in so much pain, you can't get out of bed. Right. So mm -hmm. you got to kind of gradually come off of it. Hey guys, I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about one of my favorite food products. I mean, if you're out there and you're looking for healthy snack options or, you know, really healthy food, sometimes it can be hard to find a gut friendly, gluten free snack option. 
And that's why you need to know about Paleo Valley. They're 100% grass-fed beef and 100% pasture-raised turkey meat sticks are not only loaded with delicious flavor, but they are completely free of carbs and sugar. Such a great bioavailable protein snack to grab on the go. I oftentimes will eat them with meals too. Like if I eat a meal and I'm still a little bit hungry, feel like I need a little bit more protein and healthy fats, I go ahead and have them. You know, they're gluten-free, they're soy-free, they're dairy-free, GMO-free, preservative-free. I mean, what's not to love about that? On top of that, they actually also have probiotics in them as well. So you're getting the protein, healthy fats, and you're getting probiotics, lots of key minerals and nutrients in there, and they taste amazing. And now you can use my coupon code, JOCKERS, just my last name, J-O-C-K-E-R-S, to get 15% off your order today. Simply go to their website, paleovalley.com, and enter JOCKERS at checkout, and you'll receive 15% off your entire purchase. The link and discount code are also available in the show notes of today's episode. Once you try these meat sticks, you won't be able to get enough. My kids and I absolutely love them, and I know your family will too. So try them out today. Anything to add there, Melissa? Well, you did a great job covering it. Um, I would add that you know, whenever there's any type of autoimmune condition, I'm always looking at what could be contributing to the inflammation that's going on in the body. So making sure you're reducing your toxic load. Um, mm. Water is a big source of toxins. Yeah. There's a environmental working group has a tap water database. You can put in your zip code and really find out what's in your water. And they give you options for different types of filters that are good for whatever is in your water. Um, and then like conventional beauty products or you know soap shampoos cleaning products all of those things can be very toxic and then your air so you know everything we're breathing in so i'm um, looking at trying to have a good air filtration um, system in your home get outside in nature as much as you can um, and then um, hydrating really well with that clean water so make sure you're not dehydrated particularly when there's any type of skin issue you just need lots of water um, resveratrol would be another one that I right. recommend for skin issues. So those would just be a few additional things. Yeah, for sure. And resveratrol and in combination with quercetin can be mm -hmm. very effective in general for, uh, keeping inflammation under control. They're also synolytics, meaning that they help break down these senescent cells in the system too. So taking them kind of in a fasted state can be really helpful. They're antihistamine. So uh, a lot of people with autoimmune conditions have kind of a histamine type intolerance, particularly when we're looking at skin conditions like psoriasis. So that can be helpful as well. So I know we talked about a lot of different compounds. You know, I, I would say the place to start would be, you know, definitely some sort of an elimination diet. So if he's not already mm -hmm. on an elimination diet, starting by taking out processed foods, gluten, right? Um, a lot of the dairy, right? A lot of these most common things and following more of like a paleo diet and see if you're noticing some improvements. And then from there, you can then make the switch to an autoimmune paleo diet, like we talked about, taking out nightshades, eggs, things like that. Um, and then supporting his vitamin D. I would say those are probably the lowest hanging fruit are diet changes, trying to keep stress under control, sleeping well, you know, a good water filtration system, right? Certain trying to clean up things you're exposed to, air purification and supporting vitamin D levels, right? I would say, um, you know, those would be the great places to start. And then if you're still struggling, 
definitely reach out to somebody like Melissa and get some help where she can kind of fine tune things and run some labs to figure out what sort of gut infections may be there, um, other toxic exposures, you know, help customize a supplement protocol to, uh, to help, you know, basically uh, help the body to heal itself. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Okay. So um, the next question or several that we got from YouTube, um, how do, how do you heal from sarcopenia and osteoporosis without stopping a low carb and time restricted eating plan? So she's doing 16, eight, so 16 hours fasting, eight hour eating window or one meal a day, which some people call OMAD, one meal a day. That, that's what she's doing. And she wants to know how not to lose sarcopenia's loss of muscle. Osteoporosis is when um, our bones become weak. So those are the things she's concerned about with her restricted diet. Yeah, I mean, this is a great question. So number one thing to help prevent against sarcopenia and osteoporosis is weight bearing activity, particularly weightlifting resistance training. Most people are not doing that. They think that, you know, just following diet, a good, a healthy diet is going to do it. But really, if you're not, if you're not using it, you lose it, especially as you age. And so you need to do resistance training. That is super critical. I would recommend at least three or four days a week of doing, you know, really three or four days should be enough, right? Enough of a stimulus roughly about 30 minutes of strength training. So do upper body two days a week, do lower body two days a week, squats, deadlifts, um, you know, push-ups or bench presses, things like that. Now, if that intimidates you, when I start using terms like squats, deadlifts, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to hurt myself. Get a trainer, right? Uh, work with somebody. If you go to a gym, there's going to be somebody in there at least that can, you know, show you around and kind of show you how to do these exercises safely for the first month or two until you get the muscle memory, um, to do them, but they are so critical for your body and your overall health. So that is, that's so important as you age to make sure you're doing that. So that's number one. Number two is making sure you're consuming enough protein. So I would recommend a minimum of half your body weight in grams of protein. So if you weigh 150 pounds, you should get at least 75 grams of protein in. Okay. And so if you're doing like a 16, eight, you might do that in two or three uh, meals, depending on how many meals you're consuming. So, you know, at least 25 to 30 grams of protein in each meal, um, you know, and getting enough protein is, is critical. If you're really wanting to build muscle, you can even consume more protein. You can go up to like a gram per pound of body weight. Right. And of course we're talking about the, the good quality protein, grass fed, organic animal products, uh, different things like that. So you may need, you may use a protein powder. You just may use, you know, eating steaks and, uh, you know, different things like that. And then number three is making sure, well, if you're consuming enough protein, that is going to help stabilize your, your blood sugar. And it seems like you're already following a low carb diet. All those things are going to support your blood sugar. So that isn't really as big an issue, but number three would be making sure you have enough stomach acid to digest and absorb the protein. If you eat a steak and you feel bad, like for the next two or three hours, you've got indigestion, you're burping, you're belching. Um, you're constipated, you're just struggling after you consume that, it's a sign you're not consuming enough stomach acid. If you were to, let's say, consume a six ounce steak, you really should feel great afterwards, right? It's got healthy proteins, fats, blood sugar should be stable. You got a lot of nutrients in there. You should feel good. If you've got a lot of digestive issues or fatigue, brain fog after consuming that, classic sign of low stomach acid, which means you're not gonna be able to absorb protein and minerals as well as you should, which is what you need for muscles and bone. 
And so you may need some BT and HCL that you're consuming. I see a lot of people as they age need that. And one thing you can do to start would be just taking like some apple cider vinegar and water before a meal, take a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar and about four ounces of water, drink that um, right before you consume food. And that will help to kind of activate some of your stomach acid. You can also like chew on some ginger root or drink ginger tea during the day. Ginger, the bitterness of that will help stimulate your vagus nerve and stimulate more stomach acid. But oftentimes, especially if you've gotten to the point where you are osteoporotic or you're dealing with um, you know, muscle loss in general, you're probably not producing enough stomach acid. So you may need to use BT and HCL as a supplement, okay? Now do the apple cider vinegar first because if the apple cider vinegar causes more digestive issues, it's a sign you may have an ulcer, right? And we see this all too common as well. We may have to heal the ulcer before we can use the BT and HCL supplement. Um, however, I've seen that have a world of difference for a lot of people. Now, if they have enough stomach acid, they're able to break down and, and digest and absorb the protein um, stimulate bile for better fat digestion. They're able to sterilize their guts. They have better overall absorption. And on top of that, they are, um, you know, they're, they're, so they're able to absorb all those and the minerals, zinc, calcium, magnesium, right? All your key minerals depend on stomach acid for good absorption as well. So to summarize that, <clears throat> making sure you're doing strength training, making sure you're consuming a lot of protein, enough calories in general. Um, and then number three is, making sure you're supporting your stomach acid levels. Yeah, those are all great strategies. And, you know, um, when I read this question, I was thinking about the article that you wrote on human growth hormone, because that, um, you know, by optimizing that, you can both um, build muscle and um, help with bone health. So those, there are several strategies in that article, a lot of which you covered right now. But you know, she says her blood sugar spiking at only 50 grams of carbs. So, um, there, what, what are your thoughts on that? She's doing the intermittent yeah. fasting. Well, you know what, here's, this is the thing. So a lot of people say, okay, my blood sugar is high when I'm doing intermittent fasting and, and there's a couple of mechanisms or if I'm doing low carb. So we have to understand is number one, what does that mean? The blood sugar spiking? Like what, how high is it? Number right. one. Um, and I'll, and I'll actually, I just recently had, had blood work done. So I'll, I'll talk about that, uh, in, in just a second. But that's the first question we have to ask um, is how high actually is it going? Um, and then number two, we have to ask, how are you feeling when you're doing this? And then also like, where is your, what's your fasting insulin like, right? You mentioned human growth hormone. This is one of the great benefits of fasting is you get a rise in growth hormone, which is, which helps preserve lean body mass, your muscle mass. It helps preserve your bone mass. So your body doesn't become catabolic and break down those precious tissues. It'll break down fatty acids for energy, but it won't break down your bone mass and your um, lean body mass when growth hormones elevated. And that's what happens when your insulin is low and you're in a state of intermittent fasting. Now, of course, if you're not consuming enough calories when you are eating, um, that will catch up with you. And over time you can lose muscle. So you do have to consume enough calories. You got to consume enough protein during your eating window to stimulate enough of the mTOR pathway. Roughly you need like somewhere around three grams or so of leucine, the branched chain amino acid leucine, um, which usually for most people is around 30 grams of protein, um, depending on, you know, if, if you're consuming enough, uh, protein that's rich in branched chain amino acids. So like animal protein and things like that. Um, so anyways, you want to make sure you're getting that protein when you are eating, 
But then doing that fasting can actually boost that growth hormone, which will actually help preserve uh, lean body mass. And then also adding in the exercise boosts growth hormone, right? And provides a stimulus for boosting muscle and bone tissue. So all of that's key. Now, your blood sugar, for example, I had my, my blood work done um, and my fasting blood sugar, and I was about 14 hours fasted, was 96, which, you know, is it, isn't like it's not pre-diabetic or anything, but it's, it's kind of elevated. And that's probably because I had higher levels of cortisol in the morning. I don't like getting my blood drawn, number one. Uh, so that was kind of a stressor. Um, and so stress can cause cortisol to rise, which cause it, which is a glucocorticoid, which will liberate more glucose from your stored glycogen, right? So you're all, you're always going to have stored sugar in your muscles and your liver. So your body can, you know, basically pump sugar out at, almost at all times. Uh, if it wants to, if it has the right hormonal atmosphere, right? So cortisol will cause that to rise. Now my insulin, my fasting insulin was three which is optimal. Our optimal range is somewhere between two and six, right? Somewhere around there for fasting insulin levels. So my fasting insulin was three. My blood sugar was 96. Now the way to look at my overall level of uh, insulin sensitivity is something we call the HOMO IR score or your homeo homeostatic insulin resistance score. And so we take the blood sugar right? And we multiply it by your insulin. And then we divide that by 405, right? So my blood sugar, if I do the math here was 96 and I multiply that by the insulin, which is three. So that comes out to 288 and we divide it by 405. And we always want this number to be under one, right? For really optimal metabolic health. So my number was 0.71. So if I only tested my blood sugar, I would be like, why is my blood sugar at 96? Right? I haven't eaten in 14 hours. I'm really metabolic. You know, I consider myself very metabolically healthy. I'm very fit. I can fast for long periods of time. Why is my blood sugar high? And I may even make the statement, it seems like my blood sugar is spiking, even though I'm fasting. But if I'm looking at my insulin and I'm measuring out that HOMO IR score, I'm actually extremely metabolically healthy. So for some individuals, especially leaner individuals, they tend to see that their blood sugar will go up uh, a bit during the fast, but their insulin is very low and their body is good at utilizing that sugar, right? And it, it knows how to use the sugar, uh, as an energy source. And it's not a problematic type of situation. Okay. Now, if my blood sugar fasting was, you know, 140, you know, that's an issue, right? It shouldn't be like that unless maybe I'm doing intense exercise or something like that. Um, but fasting and resting, you know, ideally it should be under, certainly under 110 and, and ideally under hundred, but I do want to measure out my overall HOMO IR score. And then I also want to look at how I feel. So if, if I'm in my fasting window and I'm having a lot of cravings, I have brain fog, I have fatigue. That's not how I should feel. Like I should feel really mentally stable. I should have clear thoughts. I should not really have any cravings. I actually should be able to fast for you know a pretty good amount of time and feel good. And if I do that, then that's a sign that my blood sugar, my insulin levels are normal and optimized. You know, they're, they're optimized for my body, right? My, my particular physiology, and then I'm doing well. So we have to ask all of those types of questions to really figure out if your blood sugar is really spiking, if you're having a poor response to this sort of low-carb intermittent fasting um, lifestyle, or if it's just a natural response that your body's making. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you brought up fasting insulin because a lot of um, labs don't, or a lot of 
practitioners do not test fasting insulin. Um, I've even had clients that are diagnosed with diabetes and they, they have no idea what their fasting insulin was or is. So we, we include that in the comprehensive blood analysis. So all of these tests that Dr. Jockers is talking about, including C-peptide, are in that comprehensive blood analysis. And I really encourage everyone to have that blood work done just so you know there's so many numbers in there, the thyroid numbers, your lipids, iron, a lot of the things we've talked about today are all included in that test. So that's what I think everyone should do. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to actually do a video slash podcast reviewing my own comprehensive blood analysis, some very interesting findings. So look out for that coming up in the future. Uh, awesome. I'm going to watch that. That yeah. sounds great. Okay. Awesome. Um, let's see what's next. Um, so she asked the top supplements and superfood powders on a budget. Yeah. So top supplements, you know, I would definitely say most people are needing vitamin D and we see mm -hmm. huge changes in, in just in the body's immune response when they optimize their vitamin D. And so obviously you can get it from the sun, right? And if you are living in Florida or somewhere, you know, South of Atlanta and you're able to get in the sun, um, you can produce enough vitamin D all year round. Most people are not. So I would recommend to optimize your vitamin D either, you know, this is a little bit more expensive than a supplement, but, you know, take a few trips every year to the Caribbean, you know, like, uh, take a uh, late fall trip, obviously in the summer, get as much sun as you can. Let's say you live in Canada. Let's say you live in, you know, New York, get as much sun as you can in the summer, late fall, take a trip to Mexico for a few days, get, get a lot of sunshine, take another trip in like February or March, right? Take at least two trips so you can optimize your vitamin D levels on the beach near the equator, right? Or you can take a vitamin D supplement. You know, I prefer number one, right? If you're able to do that, I think that's great. Uh, most people are not. So therefore taking a vitamin D supplement, I think is really powerful, really beneficial. Um, so I would say for sure that, um, you know, there's, Sometimes you can find vitamin D with, you know, a number of other compounds. For example, we have a uh, product immunocharge that has vitamin D, vitamin K, magnesium. It's got resveratrol, quercetin, N-acetylcysteine, right? All these different compounds uh, all in one that support immune system, that support, you know, reducing inflammation in the body and things like that, right? And so that could be, you know, very, very helpful. And it's got clinical doses of all of those. So I find that to be, you know, really great value as far as supplement goes. Um, some people have noticed huge changes, just taking a probiotic, right? Just adding a probiotic and that was it, right? Just seemed to optimize their absorption of different nutrients, tamed their immune system, helped support their gut. Um, and they felt a lot better. So those would be, you know, good things I would say to start with vitamin D, um, you know, probiotic can be really, really helpful. A good quality multivitamin can be helpful. Um, what would you say, Melissa? I would add fish oil to that. Um, yeah. but, but I do love that you mentioned the multivitamins because we do have formulas that are men or women. So a specific for whether it's a multi for men or and it's yeah. a once daily. So that's a good one just to get a variety of different nutrients targeted for you. But one of the biggest um, things that I see when people start working with me is they come with a list of 40 supplements that they're on, um, you know, and they don't know why they're taking them or how they're measuring if they're helping. So one of the best ways to 
you know, get supplements on a budget is to really know what you need and then target supplementation based on your needs. So if you run a comprehensive blood analysis and C-reactive protein is high, which is a marker of inflammation or glucose is high, then there's supplements you can use to target those mm. numbers. Um, so that's, that's really how I, when I'm working with people, I, I try not to overwhelm them with too many supplements. Instead, I'm, I'm usually telling my clients, you don't need that. You know, let's let's work on what you need instead of just spending money on supplements. And, and that's the value truly of having a health coach. Um, you know, some people don't want to spend the money on a health coach, but they're actually spending more um, by not having one because they're buying a bunch of things they, they don't need or they're, you know, buying testing that they don't need. I, I'll have people by almost identical testing because they don't realize there's a difference where if they would have had a health coach, I could have told them, you don't need, this one covers it, you know? So, um, but definitely I like to, to target. And I think that's the best way when you're on a budget is to really know why you're taking something and how you're measuring if it's helping. But some of those you mentioned are just our basics, the probiotic, um, multi, vitamin D3, K2, magnesium, that brain called magnesium yeah. is one of my clients' favorite products that we carry. It tastes good. Um, my kids even like that one. And then fish oil would be one I would add. Yeah, I think that's good. I think that really rounds it out very well. Okay. Um, do we have time? This will for be another? our last, last question. Okay. okay. Let me pick out a good one then. Um, all right. How about diet and lifestyle advice for tinnitus? Tinnitus. So tinnitus is going to be kind of this buzzing in the ear and oftentimes related to inflammation affecting kind of the acoustic nerve region. Uh, sometimes people with tinnitus notice more dizziness because, um, you know, your vestibular system is in there. Some don't, right? So, so it, it can definitely range. And so again, with tinnitus, I would definitely focus again on reducing inflammation. So it's an inflammatory based condition. So we got to get inflammation under control. So looking out for different food sensitivities, different things like that, like we had mentioned earlier are very, very important. There's also links with B12 deficiency, B12 and also vitamin D deficiency associated with higher prevalence of tinnitus. So I would look into those things, B12, um, you know, our comprehensive blood analysis will look at your, your, your serum B12. It'll look at your homocysteine, which are two good measurements what's happening with B12 levels. It also looks at your blood volume, your, your, your blood cell volume called your mean corpuscular volume, which all three of those are good measurements of looking at like what's happening with B12 metabolism in the body. Um, and then vitamin D. So our comprehensive blood analysis looks at 25 hydroxy vitamin D and the 125 hydroxy, which is actually the active form of vitamin D. So those would be two big things I would look at overall inflammation. And then a lot of times I actually see issues with just structural issues. These are not even diet related with TMJ, right? Where the, the temporomandibular joint, temporomandibular joint, uh, which is kind of the top of your jaw right near your ear is sliding in and out. And so it could be a structural issue. It could have been from an injury, could also be from some sort of like an oral infection, like a cavitation from maybe getting your wisdom teeth pulled out or something like that. So it could be like an infection in there. Uh, so if you're noticing your jaw popping a lot and you also have the tinnitus, that would definitely be something that good to look at. Go, go to a holistic dentist that's familiar with looking at cavitations and uh, TMJ and different issues like that. See if there's infection in there. Um, and you can also kind of get a brace to put on it, but they, they'll need to clean out the infection to really get to the root cause. But I think that's a great place to start. Any, uh, 
Any input from you there, Melissa? Yeah, I've worked with several people with tinnitus, and yeah, they re it really makes them miserable. It's um, you know just that constant ringing in the noise in the ears. So um, avoiding intense noises that can often make it a lot worse. Mm. Uh, excess caffeine and alcohol can both uh, make tinnitus worse, and then. When we work on reducing stress, getting good quality sleep, and dealing with any anxiety they're having over having the tinnitus or, or their health issues, those things can really help. I think a lot of people underestimate the impact stress has on the body. It's not just a mental impact, it's a physiological impact. Um, a lot of chronic conditions, if you if you go back to underlying causes, stress is a huge contributor. I'll often tell people that, you know, when that when they experience a, a major health issue, it, it's it's often their bucket was filled up. So they were filling up with gut infections or thyroid issues or food sensitivities, other things. But often what I see working with people is there's a significant stressor, a divorce, something happening with a child, you know, things like that, that actually tip the bucket over. And that's when they really hit the wall and feel terrible. So just stress is um, that can help with tinnitus, but it can really help with whatever you're dealing with. So that's one of the when I work with people, stress, nutrition and sleep, of course, exercise. But what I really see is stress, nutrition and sleep. If any of those are really out of balance, then you're not going to to optimize your health. We, we have to deal with all three of those and make sure you're managing the stress, getting good quality sleep, which stress and sleep often go together. If a person's stressed, they're not going to sleep well because they have high cortisol, like you were talking about earlier. And you you just can't, the, the diet piece is critical, but even if you're eating a perfect diet, if you're not sleeping and you're extremely stressed, you're not going to heal. So that would be a, a, some more things to consider. Yeah, all great stuff. So um, definitely uh, really good. This is a great Q&A. Really enjoy doing this with you, Melissa. And I hope our listeners, hope you guys got a lot of value out of it. Again, if you're looking for a great health coach, if you're navigating, trying to navigate yourself through a lot of different health challenges, reach out to somebody like Melissa. We've got a great health coaching team. Melissa works with people all over the world uh, via Zoom or phone, and uh, she can help customize a plan <clears throat> to help you figure out what's going on, right? Find the root cause of your issues and customize a plan to, uh, to address those things and start the path of getting well. So check her out, Melissa at drjockers.com. You can find out all our information as well on our website, drjockers.com. Guys, we'll see you on a future podcast. Also be looking out for uh, the next Q&A. So if you follow me on Instagram, Facebook, um, I will put up a post asking for your questions. If you're listening to this on YouTube, you can also ask questions uh, below this, and we may include those as well on one of our upcoming uh, Q&A sessions. So thanks so much for doing that, guys, and we'll see you in a future podcast. Be blessed. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.